The Alchemical Tech Revolution is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor by Spotify. That's anchor.fm. Hi folks, this is Wayne McCroy, host of the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast. I'm here to tell you tonight about Anchor. Anchor is one of the best podcast distribution apps out there. Uh, They offer various ways to create, distribute, and monetize your podcast all for free, and they have some of the best built-in uploading, recording, and editing tools available in the industry. From start to finish, they can help you to set up your podcast. So if you are interested in starting a podcast, check out anchor.fm. Or if you are already a podcaster and you're looking for distribution solutions for your podcast, check out anchor.fm. Come with me.
listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I'm your host, Wayne McCroy. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, we're going to discuss a little topic called the Babylon working and its connections to the OTO. And the OTO, for those of you that don't know, that stands for Ordo Templi Orientis. And this was an organization that was uh, uh, very heavily influenced by one Mr. Aleister Crowley, uh, who teaches uh, his secret religion of Thelema. Well, I guess I shouldn't say it's a secret religion, but it's kind of a religious philosophy that he's put forward, and it's called Thelema. And uh, many of his teachings have heavily influenced this secret order known as the OTO, and uh, many of their initiatory rites and such things. So uh, tonight, uh, we're going to do just part one of probably what's going to be a two-part series here on the connections between the Babylon working, which many people have heard of, but uh, may not quite necessarily understand what is involved with that, and this uh, secret society known as the OTO, uh, and how these teachings all stem from the same place, and uh, just how convoluted they are, and what it is that their, their true feelings are towards, well, Christians in particular, and the masses in general. And, uh, you know, how they view themselves in the hierarchy of the world here. Uh, and for those who don't know the Babylon working, this was actually performed in 1946 by Jack Parsons, uh, who was famous for founding Jet Propulsion Labs for NASA. Uh, he was a scientist within NASA, and he was an occultist, and also... Uh, he was a student of Mr. Aleister Crowley, and along with Jack Parsons performing this working called The Babylon Working, and Babylon is spelled B-A-B-A-L-O-N, not to be confused with the city of Babylon from ancient times, which is spelled with a Y in there, but... Uh, in performing this ritual, the Babylon working, he worked with L. Ron Hubbard, who's also famous for going on to found Scientology and uh, was a famed science fiction writer and also worked for the intelligence community. Uh, so, you know, that that's kind of an interesting crossover of people, and he was also a student of Aleister Crowley. Uh, so, <clears throat> just laying the groundwork for that, uh, we'll, we'll go a little more into the specifics of what the Babylon working was later, but in order to get there, first we're going to lay down some important groundwork here, and we've done in some previous broadcasts here uh, some of the different teachings that have led up to this point. See, it's important that we, we pave the road here and lay the foundation uh, to understand what it is these people believe, why they do the things they do, the things they act upon, and exactly what it is that they're doing. So tonight, this is going to be uh, part one, and we're going to do a sort of expose on the OTO and some of the rituals and the different things they teach and believe in the higher levels of the order. 
and this crosses over into other secret societies too. That's that's the thing that the topmost levels of all these different secret society groups they interconnect at many different levels. So many of the teachings cross over into these other secret society groups, and uh, they're all working towards the same ends here, and they all base uh, a lot of their foundational uh, teachings on many of these ideas we've explored in past episodes here. So I would highly encourage you, if you haven't listened to my episodes on uh, the Unseen Forces series or the series on the gods as taught by the secret societies, um, go back and give those a listen. It lays down some important groundwork here and some of the many other things that I've covered as well uh, to kind of lead up to this point so you have a better understanding of what it is we're talking about because without this foundation of knowledge of what these people believe and what it is they teach you'll be totally lost listening to it and it'll sound like a lot of mumbo jumbo but uh, if you know where it is that they're coming from and these things that they do very much believe um, then you will have an easier time following along uh, with what's being laid down here So, that being the case, uh, first thing we're going to do is look at uh, what it is that these uh, different secret society groups believe and what what they teach in regards to these things. So, uh, in order to do that, let's do a little review of some of what we've learned so far. And like I said, I would encourage you to go back and give a listen uh, to some of those other videos that I've posted in in the the past here of those different... uh, Uh, series that I've done on uh, the Unseen Forces and the Gods in particular in order to better understand what it is uh, that we're talking about. But we'll do a brief review of that to kind of lead up into some of the things we'll be looking at tonight here. So what we're going to review first is uh, basically the general overtones of, of what we've learned Uh, from previous secret society groups, what we've found in some of their own writings, in their own words. And this is not me, uh, you know, tying these things together or making this stuff up. This is in their own words. This is what they believe and what they've taught through, you know, down through the generations. And uh, many of the foundational ideas that they, they actually work towards and the goals they work towards are convoluted and twisted from what, uh, many of the original meanings were when you actually go back and trace these things back to their roots back in ancient greek philosophy and things like that and with uh, teachers like paracelsus and that kind of thing they've brought these ideas forward and kind of imbued them with a life of their own and twisted and inverted them into something they weren't originally intended to be and in so doing they've kind of turned them into a hyper materialist viewpoint uh in in many ways and uh, an example of this we'll look at is when we go back uh, and we were talking about the Unseen Forces series, this is talking about foundational ideas like elementals, elemental spirits, nature spirits, things like that. So many of these ideas, as put forth originally by Paracelsus, were twisted and contorted uh, by some of these teachers within the secret society groups. And uh, they've come to a point where they believe that uh, if these elemental spirits mate with human beings, they produce offspring of a supernatural type nature, uh, things that they would call quote-unquote like messiahs and and things of that nature. So they claim actually that uh, the birth of Jesus Christ could be equated to uh, the the mating of a fire elemental or or otherwise 
known as a salamander, uh, with the Virgin Mary, and that produced the offspring that they claim was Jesus Christ, and uh, this was the union of these elemental type beings with a human being, and it, they were born uh, into the physical world here, and thus that is explains why they had uh, this kind of supernatural understanding and these supernatural type powers. So that's what these people were claiming uh, when you go back and you look through uh, the other series I did, The Gods. That's how they explain it. But first, uh, to understand that, you need to look back at the Unseen Forces series because, uh, like I said, they talk about these ideas like elementals, elemental spirits, uh, nature spirits, things of this nature and this ilk. And then uh, later on, when we go into the more Rosicrucian-type teachings, you could see how they equate these beings, these spirits, these elemental spirits, uh, these nature-type spirits to what they call, quote-unquote, the gods. And once again, I mean, you, you could point back to the allegories of ancient Greek myth uh, of what the gods were, and what they're describing are different aspects of nature's, nature and things things like that. Uh, so they've kind of give a, given a personification to, uh, or intelligence, to these things, these aspects of nature, and that is what Paracelsus came up with as, you know, the foundational idea for, quote-unquote, elementals, okay? Or, uh, he, he didn't actually call them elementals, though. That's the thing. That term kind of came later, but what he was describing were elementals. And uh, some of the other names that they came up with for them r reflect uh, those ideas. But that's basically what we're talking about. So within the secret schools, the topmost levels of these different secret society groups, uh, in some of the top-tier teachings... They teach that uh, human beings, they, they, <clears throat> they should actually pursue relationships with these elemental spirits and to have uh, marriages and sexual intercourse with these types of beings because in so doing, they save them from mortality. You see, because they explain that these elemental spirits, they, they only have mortal souls, and they perish after only a couple hundred years or something like that. Unless, somehow, if they, they can mate with a human being, then they take on aspects of that humanity and gain immortality of soul, uh, like man is said to have. So they say it's a noble work for somebody to pursue a marriage or, you know, a relationship with one of these elemental beings, but they warn that they're extremely jealous beings, okay? So that's where we're coming from when you, you know, put two and two together uh, from these different things that we've looked at, the elemental spirits and, uh, the idea of how they are equated to the quote-unquote gods. And there are other spirits and stuff they explain, too, that relate in different ways like this. But uh, they always invariably uh, equate these elemental spirits that they claim to have uh, sexual union with or marriage with or relationships with. Uh, they always equate them one-to-one -one with the incubus and succubus spirit, which if you go back and look in letters on demoniality and things like that, they're describing the same thing, but they're describing it with a more malevolent intent. See, so these secret societies are teaching that this spirit, it's not necessarily a malevolent spirit. It just wants to have immortality of soul. It doesn't want to perish, and it's a very noble thing for a human being to mate with this 
And uh, you could draw the correlations and the lines back all day long to different things like the Genesis 6 experiment of the Bible, uh, where the sons of God came down unto the daughters of men and saw they were beautiful and mated with them. And uh, then, you know, you have the story of the Nephilim of the biblical era of, uh, you know, the times before the flood and also after the flood, uh, which it says, you know, in, in the Bible that they're... Uh, they also existed after the flood, but to a much, much lesser degree. And this also ties back to legends of the Titans and, and things like that, because they were said to be giants. Uh, and, you know, giants. So that that's, that's neither here nor there. But this is kind of where this leads, okay? This teaching of these secret societies. They teach that uh, one of the highest achievements of man one of the most noble things you could do would be to save one of these elemental spirits from death from the death of their soul from mortality of soul because see they only exist in one particular element whereas we exist in all four we're a combination of four here on our physical plane so and they're only of the one substance they're of fire earth air or water okay and we're a combination of all four of those here this is the, what they claim. This is what they teach in the secret society groups. This is not me uh, making this stuff up or trying to draw the lines. Uh, they make it abundantly clear through some of their teachings that this is what they believe. And they see that there's no nobler purpose than rescuing one of these uh, beings from that mortality that they would otherwise have. So you see how they set themselves up in this type of savior type mentality with this it's it's stroking their ego okay so this is what they do and always always beware of flattery in these different teachings it's a form of mind control okay they they flatter you they they try to tell you you're something greater than you are in order to get you to uh back up whatever it is that they're pushing or promoting here their agenda so see this would puff up one's uh ego to be able to say, well, this is a very noble thing. So you see, a lot of people have been led astray through this, especially in the higher most levels of these different secret society groups. And here's the thing. When, when you're in these secret society groups and you're, like, taking these blood oaths, these literal blood oaths, uh, not to reveal their secrets and stuff like that, these are some of the things you're learning about. And once you're so deep into it, um, you know, there's like a lot of these guys, there's no way out without actually being, you know, uh, taken out by some of these people if they, if they feel that, uh, you're dangerous enough to them. So that's the thing. If you've taken that blood oath, you're, you're not going to speak about this stuff openly because, well, let's face it. I mean, a lot of people would think, okay, this is totally nuts and it's totally weird and it's totally wrong, Right. So, like, that's the thing. So a lot of a lot of these guys, once they get so heavily involved in this stuff, they don't speak out uh, because of that. Because, the, you know, they've got the blood on their hands, so to say, with this stuff. <clears throat> so that being the case, um, they tend to not out this stuff or bring it out in the public. And uh, they, then it only, this attitude towards it, only reverberates in their little echo chamber within these secret society groups. You see, it's it's a wonderful thing they're doing. This is what they view it as. See, this this is a wonderful thing. Having these, this sexual union with a, a demonic spirit is a wonderful thing, they say. 
because they're not viewing it as a demonic spirit, folks. They, they, it's, it's an elemental. See, it's an elemental being, and you're, you're, you're offering this elemental being salvation from, from death. You're, you're giving them immortality of soul, uh, in, in doing this. See, you see how they twist and pervert these ideas and things, and, and much of these teachings that they bring forward about these elemental beings are based solely on fiction, on works of fiction. Okay, um, so that being the case, it's it's a very faulty foundation. But these are the teachings and stuff that they bring forward, and that they teach some of these members that have gone to high standing in their different secret society groups, and they firmly and fully believe this. And uh, through the the power of the Hermetic principle of mentalism, or the, or the principle of mind, uh, the more energies and uh, you know concentration and thought that they put upon these things it kind of creates a type of uh, tulpa or a type of uh, egregore scenario with these things so it kind of brings to fruition uh, some certain manifestations in reality and they're not good manifestations folks uh, and and that's that's one of the things that uh, you know many people would have a hard time accepting uh, you do something like this there's spiritual ramifications for it and uh, these, these people really view no folly in what they do because they think it's a good thing because that's what they're taught, you see, through these different secret teachings and stuff like that. It's the, it's the carrot they always dangle in front of people. Oh, you'll learn secret knowledge and see there's gnosis and, you know, you'll, you'll know more than the average person. See, they're backwards. They, they don't know what they're talking about. It's backwards. They're profane. It's profanity what they teach in the outside world. This is the truth and this is, you know... And this is what they teach. This is superior. This secret knowledge is superior to what you'll learn in the outside world. And it's 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 the truth. And what they're teaching is the lie. It's it's a backwards and it's twisted and convoluted, folks. See. So anyway, having kind of reviewed uh, some of the things we've looked at, let's go ahead and read some of this from the horse's mouth, shall we? Uh, so that you know, it's not me drawing these lines and uh, making allegations here where there's not anything in a, a foot to stand on, uh, making these connections. So without further ado, let's dig into a little book called The Secret Rituals of the OTO. Uh, and this was written by, uh, hold on one second here, let me look up this gentleman's name. I use that term quickly. It says, edited and introduced by Francis King. It's The Secret Rituals of the OTO by Francis King, complete. Uh, and it talks about uh, many of these different ideas that we've formerly discussed here and we will continue to discuss here tonight now. So that being the case, let's go ahead and we're going to go uh, down to part three of this book. Okay. And we're going to go through probably two sections of this tonight. And in the conclusion, uh, in the second part that we'll record where we talk more about the actual Babylon working itself, uh, and you'll start to be able to draw the connections here once you see. Uh, we'll discuss the, the Babylon working in part two, specifically what it, what it was and what is known about uh, what uh, Hubbard and uh, Parsons did. And, you know, and we'll connect it to what's written here in this book from the OTO. 
So, but uh, first tonight, we're going to go through and we're going to connect these ideas so you can see, because it's all related, and you'll start to be able to draw the lines of uh, intent yourself here and understand. <clears throat> so I'm going to start reading from part three. The secret instructions of the seventh, eighth, and ninth degrees. Of the nature of the gods, a secret instruction of the seventh degree. De natura diorum. Baphomet, 10th degree, OTO, Rex Summus Sanctissimus, from the throne of Ireland, Iona, and all the Britons that are in the sanctuary of the Gnosis, to all members of the Supreme Grand Council of Very Illustrious Sovereign Grand Inspectors General, 7th degree, greetings and peace. I'm going to pause there, folks. They love their titles, don't they? And that should tell you a little something about these people and their egos. So, let's continue. Under the seal of the obligation of the seventh degree. One. From the beginning of years, the initiates of all peoples have held one central secret as a sure bond of brotherhood, as a unity whose truth is able to harmonize all men upon the earth. No fabrications of knavish priests, no vain dreams of mystics can hide from the sane this one fact. Not only is the earth, but a chilled spark of the sun, a dropped petal of the rose of heaven, but the source of all light and life upon the planet is that same sun. Not only is he creator, but sustainer, and it is he also that destroyeth in due season, and redeemeth when the time is come. Therefore, in the macrocosm is one sole God, the sun." Now, in the microcosm, which is man, the vice-regent of the sun, sole giver of life, is the phallus. He is also giver of light in a certain secret sense, not fully declared in the seventh degree. This much we may hint. The phallus is the physiological basis of the oversoul. And then it gives a reference here to Lieber 333, the Book of Lies, and different sections within that. And also... Of his own nature is he liberty and love. And I'm going to pause there, folks. So you see, it's based on these solar phallic ideas, much like masonry. Okay, A lot of these things uh, tie their roots back. So they're saying the microcosm is the phallus, the macrocosm is the sun, uh, and they, they draw uh, the allegory all day long with that kind of thing, first and foremost here. So they're also relating the phallus to the oversoul with a capital O. Uh, so they're equating this idea of the sex force uh, with having some significance to the soul, okay? And uh, we've actually covered in the past where uh, some of these ideas have come from, and they could be related back to a gentleman named Pascal Beverly Randolph. A lot of these twistings of these teachings, this is where they, they find their source is with that guy. And uh, the OTO is taken off and run with many of the ideas that that guy laid down. So uh, let's get back to the reading. <clears throat> now, of old, our brethren hid this doctrine in tradition and in fable and in great buildings and in the rituals of Freemasonry. With this key, all these rituals become intelligible, luminous, radiant. Without it, they are dark, the just scorn of the ignorant. Search and see. Number two, in this book... We have no need to speak of local and tribal gods, of animistic personifications of partial phenomena and the like, but of universal gods as these. The fire, 
an image of soul, S-O-L, with a capital S, and a fable of the phallus. The moon, an image of Catias, only worshipped with soul, S-O-L, in his aspect as an extension of the phallus. The mountain, reverenced as the home of the gods, the visible place of the rising of soul, and by shape symbolic of the phallus. Some mountains are female from shape and tradition. The ancestor, revered as an incarnation of the phallus. The yoni or Catias, revered as the house of the phallus and his complement. The snake, revered as giver of death and as a symbol of the spermatozoan. He has often the head of the lion, to indicate the mighty power of the spermatozoan. The egg, revered as solar and in itself as the vehicle of phallic energy. The eagle and many other winged creatures, also wings attached to the symbols. This represents the flight of life from one resting place to another and is therefore proper, a proper attribute of the phallus. The tree is but the flowering phallus. The stars, these beings, or sorry, these being the concourse of the brethren of the sun, are venerable for the wise even as he. And the star universe is, as it were, his mother, whence knew it is the highest and holiest of all that may be. And her mate is Hadit, the secret and essential energy of life, whose raiment is the phallus, wherefore is Hadit equal with her, the highest and holiest of all that may be. And their child, Rahorkuit, is the visible soul phallus upon earth. But this is a mystery of the adepts of Thelema, and the vulgar may not attain to it. And I'm going to pause there, folks. They're talking about Isis, Osiris, and Horus here. If you want to get down to it, that's what the allegory is they're talking about. And these people sure do love dicks, don't they? <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Uh, they always equate everything to the phallus. And we've, we've discussed before, um, there are some true things that they do confer in some of these teachings, and there is a type of uh, uh, what we would call archetypal energy related to the sex act and to uh, the sex organs and that kind of thing. But uh, the way they've taken it and twisted it and perverted it in some of these teachings is beyond the pale, just so you understand that. Uh, some of the things that were discussed by the ancient philosophers and the ancient alchemists in regards to this were not the same thing that's been brought forth by the secret societies today. It's been twisted around and turned the other way from where it should be. And there are very dark powers in this world that uh, have taken these ideas and turned them on their heads. Uh, but let's get back to the reading. All other gods should be referred to this synthesis in the microcosmic sun. And I'm going to pause there. Remember, when they're saying microcosmic sun, folks, they're talking about the phallus. Okay? Thus, corn goddesses conceal mysteries of germination. Wine gods are phallic and solar in the ecstasy of overflowing life, of which the proper use of wine makes even the common people conscious. There are also gods invented to represent things useful to man, but these are by nature subservient to the prime god, whose use and beauty are fundamental. Now, we're going to move on to part three here. 
Number three, in that sanctuary of the Gnosis, to which, very illustrious Sir Knights, your valor and chastity may one day obtain your admission, there is a certain deeper interpretation. Nor are ye wholly ignorant of how in the figure called Baphomet and Babylon, there it is, B-A-B-A-L-O-N, Babylon, so let's read that again. Nor are ye wholly ignorant of how in the figure called Baphomet and Babylon is a measure of heaven and earth. Again, those initiates indeed who have penetrated in truth into the sanctuaries of their own being and found that God omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, who is light, life, love, and liberty beyond time and space without quantity or quality, one eternal, the very essence of the sun, and of the phallus alike, will possess in their own consciousness, illuminated by that, a certain apprehension of the truth, which is not in any way to be shared by those who have not attained to this treasure. And I'm going to pause there, folks. So what they're telling you here is a half-truth, okay? Uh, what they're saying is... Uh, Somebody, it, see, that this is one thing that's really tough about trying to teach somebody about alchemy. Either you're ready for it and you get it, or you're not ready for it yet and you don't. Uh, it's up to the individual. It's a very subjective type of a teaching. Either your mind picks up the connection or it doesn't in a lot of these things. And that's kind of what it's talking about here. But that is not something that is wholly um, just for initiates in these secret orders, okay? Um, if you understand, if you've done enough uh, study and looking at many of these ideas, you, you begin to start to draw connections on your own with things. And that's what it's about. You don't need to be necessarily taught within one of these secret schools and, and led along down the, you know, these, these trails and go, going through these initiatory rites and stuff in order to understand some of the things they're talking about. And, uh, you know, if, if you don't go through that initiatory process that they give you, you don't necessarily see things the same way they do because they teach you a very convoluted way of looking at these things and they teach you only the interpretation that they want you to know. And if you don't think for yourself and step outside the bounds of the quote-unquote order, uh, you will teach and f believe and learn only the things they want you to teach and believe and learn about what it is they're telling you so i mean it offers a type of control over the information once again and that's what they're all about they like to control this type of esoteric or occult information uh, but so yeah i mean they're teaching you a little bit of true things in a lot of these uh different teachings but uh it, a lot of it's tied up in some convoluted thought as well so, see, that's the thing there. That's why it's important to look at this stuff, because you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, because there are some important concepts that do get taught uh, within some of these teachings. But the other aspect of it is, if you don't know exactly what it is you're looking at, and if you haven't uh, had a firm foundation um, in, say, a solid background with God, the Creator, uh, and you look at this stuff, you could be easily led astray. If your heart's not right with God, don't try to look through this stuff until you're 100% certain uh, that you're you're standing on firm ground with God. Because a lot of this stuff can lead people very far astray if you take it in and believe it. Like some of these things that they teach you are not necessarily truths. Uh, 
it's it's a convoluted view of some things that were true back in the day that they taught in the ancient philosophies so with that being the case they've completely turned and inverted these things um, 180 degrees around and uh, are, are teaching some really really convoluted things about the nature of God the nature of man the nature of the universe um, and that being the case they're they're leading people astray and it's leading to um, the development of something completely artificial not natural turning away from nature from the natural world this perfect creation made by the Creator and uh, it's about usurpation that's what the bottom line is uh, at the topmost levels of these secret society groups they want to usurp God and become God themselves and they think they could do a better job by completely inverting the natural order into something completely artificial so that's the bottom line here and that's the way they skew some of these teachings see they, they understand some of the natural principles but they take them and turn them on their head and they figured out how to weaponize these against the masses to try to gain total control and that's kind of what we're talking about here but enough uh, droning on by me uh, let's get back to the reading and get back to what they're saying right out of the horse's mouth <clears throat> these if they are wise will make no attempt to disclose this inner truth to the profane but will be content that they rest in the shadow of that eternal truth which we have here declared unto you that god is one and that his name is in the macrocosm the sun and in the microcosm the phallus and i'm going to pause right there folks what did i just tell you see they, they they play this game with everything okay it's the we are the authority figures game okay we tell you this and you accept this as true and you parrot only this okay keep it a secret to yourself see this is what they're telling you it says these if they are wise will make no attempt to disclose this inner truth to the profane see don't talk outside of the order you see don't talk about this stuff outside of that uh, but will be content that they rest in the shadow of the that external truth which we have declared unto you and the word we here has a capital w folks this is what they think about themselves and this is what they think about you they declare you the profane okay and they're saying god and the son and the phallus are all the same thing see and it's all about this sex energy and uh, to a certain degree like uh, there is some of that that's prevalent in nature okay but they've taken something natural and twisted and perverted it because you see uh this is prevalent through all of nature the, the sex act and uh, the the act of reproduction and creation through the entire natural world is a universal thing but they're trying to usurp it for themselves you see uh that's one of their main objectives is to be the sole arbiters of the sex force to just be able to decide who gets to reproduce and who doesn't what gets to reproduce and what doesn't do you see do you see the game they're playing yet i mean look at the world around you the world we live in today and understand that all of this sexual confusion and everything going on in society 
This is all a direct result of these people trying to seize hold of the idea of the Creation Act because, you see, they view it as the power of the divine. And they're not wrong in, in the sense that uh, we cannot reproduce in a lab the same thing that creates life. We, we cannot create life. We might be able to take uh, two living organisms and combine their genetic material together to make life from that, but we cannot create life in and of ourselves out of nothing, as God has, the Creator has, see? And they want to be able to do that or usurp that power, and this is how they do that. So that's why there's always this talk about... Uh, um, you know, population reduction and birth control and, you know, um, this uh, fertility regulating vaccines and all of these different kinds of things. That's why this stuff has always been going on in the circles of power. Uh, they talk about all this kind of stuff all the time. That's why they're, you know, all about uh, harping on, you know, the uh, global warming and endangered species and all of this stuff because they want to be the sole arbiters of what gets to live and reproduce and what doesn't or who doesn't it's all eugenics based folks it's all what eugenics is based upon okay and uh you know when we we say eugenics the next step for eugenics is transhumanism uh this is where all those ideas stem from is back from uh, some of these ancient teachings that have been twisted and perverted and turned into what they were not intended to be. Something completely unnatural, against nature, anti-nature, anti-Christ, if you will. Uh, that's what this whole agenda is pushing. Okay, so eugenics, transhumanism, they're synonymous. Make no, no doubt about that in your mind. It's the same thing. In fact, pro-transhumanist groups have described transhumanism as, quote-unquote, eugenics without coercion. Uh, so, you know, that being the case, you could see this is the spiritual roots of where these ideas stem from, okay, from these secret society groups, from the teachings brought forward from ancient times that have been twisted and convoluted and uh, turned into something to be weaponized against the masses. So, anyway... Enough of my rambling, let's get back to the reading here. <clears throat> For all attempts to initiate even the worthy before they initiate themselves are folly and fatality. The secrets of the wise, although known of them, are not to be expressed in the language of common men. Look you, sir knights, this doctrine itself that we reveal to you in this supreme grand council, to which ye have attained so hardly, so will it sound think you, even in a consistory of princes of the royal secret, prepared as they are for some such revelation? How then to mere knights Kadosh, to sovereign princes of Rose Croy, and how to master masons? It is for this reason that our council is thus sentineled within and without, and that our whole ritual from Minerva upward is but a constant series of hints of this one truth. And I'm going to pause there, folks. There's a stark admission that they don't tell all their secrets to the lower members of the orders. Okay. Uh, that's exactly what they're saying here. We don't let uh, we only hint at these truths in these teachings, but we teach them something false instead. That's what they're admitting here. All of these secret society groups, they're based on deception. Okay? To their lower level members, 
they they string them along they they bring them through they they try to convince them they're doing good works and they're they're doing good things and it, oh it's only it, the, the the masons it's it's this good group all they do nice stuff they they raise money for children's hospitals and stuff and they have spaghetti dinners it's you know it's just a good boys club an old boys club uh they like to get deals down at the car dealerships and stuff and that's true for most of uh you know, the people that join the fraternity, but they're strung along to believe that they're doing good things and that they're supporting something good. Uh, and most of them don't make it into the higher levels of this hierarchy. Let's face it. Most of them are what they call porch masons, okay? And these would be the people that stay within the what they call the blue lodges and only go through the first three initiatory rites of masonry, and then they're happy with their status there because they could go down to the country club and play golf or go down to the car dealership and get a quote-unquote square deal on a new car, uh, and, you know, they, they get all the best business dealings, and they're part of the big club, see? And they don't see anything wrong with that, and, you know, on the face of it, yeah, it looks like some of these groups, they do do some good works and stuff. They raise money for charities and do all kinds of benefits and things like that. But uh, that's only the facade. Okay, at the highest levels of these orders, there's other stuff going on behind it. But anyway, let's get back to the reading. <clears throat> what is the tent of Saladin but the phallus? And the first word on the last is on, O-N, the sun. But were the Minerva to suspect this truth, would he not turn to flee in terror from the camp and be cut down by the black guard that wardeth even the utmost marches of the kingdom of the most holy and most high Lord God Almighty? Therefore reflect, act wisely, and with prudence, Sir Knight, not declaring openly the arcanum to such as understand not already of their own ripe wit, and in what time seemeth him good shall the oho gathering his forces declare this truth privily unto the kings and princes of the earth that they may take counsel together and rule all men in peace and love by virtue of this secret under the shadow of the wings of the one ineffable lord and i'm going to pause there folks the wings of the lord the one ineffable Lord. What Lord are they talking about? Have you ever seen a picture of God, uh, of an interpretation, an artistic interpretation of God with wings? Who have you seen artistically represented with wings? I'll, I'll, I'll just leave that one out there for you guys to think about and ruminate on. I, I'm not going to make any suggestions there, but this is a totally different God than the creator of the universe whom we acknowledge okay back to the reading for this secret is not only a convenient manner of doing this a pillar of flame to disperse the shadows of earth but is also a convenient veil and the only veil worthy of that further light which we are not able to reveal even to this supreme grand council of the oto see you hear that there they veil a lot of these ideas see there that, that's the other thing they openly admit they keep secrets even from their other brethren okay that's these secret society groups are so fraught with lies and deception that uh, you, you can't really know when they're telling you truth uh it's it's ridiculous 
It truly is. But uh, let's continue on here, part six of this little section here. Of all our enemies, those are most to be feared who make false gods of their imaginations. For the heathen are turned easily from gods of clay, for truth strikes home sharply on their dark minds. It is easy to prove that the sun is indeed the source of life and light, that the phallus is indeed pangenitor. I'm going to pause right there. That's an important word, folks, and they have it in all capitals here. Pangenitor. P-A-N-G-E-N-E-T-O-R. Pangenitor. Pan. Think of pan. Okay. But to those who have stultified themselves, who have darkened their own eyes, who have betrayed their own reason in seeking out fantastic gods, foul and tangled cobwebs of metaphysics spun by emasculate spider professors in sunless cloisters, bubbles blown by idiots and madmen, myths misinterpreted, fables taken for history, lies pushed forward by every forgery, fraud, treachery, and murder, to such the truth seems false, and the light darkness. And I'm going to pause there. They're not totally wrong in stating that, are they? <laughs> like, that's the thing. I mean, there are some truths that they weave into their little fabric here. And you'll notice that they make uh, reference to spider professors. And this ties back to the myths of Arachne and Psyche. And th these are important concepts that we'll cover at a later time. Uh, but, uh, you know, that being said... Well, we're, we're not going to harp on that because that's a whole side tangent and a whole show on its own. Uh, but anyway, let's get back to the reading. Such gods as Per, per Abraham merely bewilder the people and render them the prey of priestcraft, while the Christs of the Latin, Lutheran, and Anglican churches alike are but the machine gods of all fraud and oppression, being stolen and prostituted from that Christ in whom our fathers, in the Gnosis, strove to synthesize the warring gods of Syria, Greece, Chaldea, Rome, and Egypt, at the time when the growth of the Roman Empire first made travel, and the intercommunication of the priests of Mithras, Adonis, Attis, Osiris, Dionysus, Isis, Astarte, Venus, and many scores of others possible. Gonna pause there, folks. So you see, they're claiming here that uh, the Christs of the Latin, Lutheran, and Anglican churches alike are but the machine gods of all fraud and oppression. See, they're saying that uh, it's a manufactured uh, type of God, a man-made type of God. That's what they're claiming here. Uh, in whom our fathers in the Gnosis, see, and they capitalize this, the fathers and the word Gnosis, strove to synthesize. See, so they're claiming that uh, their forebears, okay, they were the ones that came up with this idea of Christ, okay, and that they tried to synthesize all these different gods within the Roman Empire together uh, to manufacture just one unified uh, type of religious outlook for the people. So they're claiming to have steered uh, these religious traditions into the same direction and steered them towards this uh, this newly founded church of Jesus Christ, see. Uh, and uh, they're, they're lying, folks. Okay, they're claiming that they're they're people within these secret society groups, and sure, maybe they had a hand in bringing forward all of these different old 
uh, what we would call pagan traditions into uh, the organized church that was founded uh, within Rome, the, the Vatican per se, uh, which was based upon the ideas uh, that were taught by Jesus Christ. Okay, uh, But they're claiming whole ownership of this right here, and that's not true. Although I'm sure they had an important hand in steering many of these ideas into what would later become the organized church that was founded upon the teachings of Jesus Christ. And this is also why all religions are a control structure. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of dogma that's taught within these different orders and within these different religious systems. And that's the whole thing. It's a system. Okay. They've taken the teachings, the true teachings of Jesus Christ, and perverted them and twisted them into this system, this organized, uh, what they would call church. Okay, it's so uh, these organized religious institutions uh, have been used for control through many, many, many generations now, and that's one of the bottom lines here. And that's that's not that's not untrue. I mean, it, it totally has been convoluted. But uh, they're trying to take whole ownership of this and claiming, uh, you know, basically that it was a false construction. See, they're, they're comparing Jesus Christ with what they call a machine god, which means that it's wholly synthesized and artificial and manufactured, and that's not true. Anybody who's actually done any looking into uh, the history of Christianity and of Jesus Christ himself knows that there was this actual guy that went about teaching and, uh, you know, had many miracles and stuff attributed to him. And uh, he kind of, you know, uh, he split the timeline of the world in two, okay? Uh, that being the case, uh, you know, that, that says a little something. Uh, he, he made some waves, okay? So, anyway, so they're trying to claim this. But uh, let's go ahead and get on with the reading. I don't want to uh, harp on that for too long traces of this recension are still visible in the mass and in the calendar of the saints all gods and goddesses of universal import receiving the same honor by the same rites as before while the local gods were replaced by saints virgins martyrs or angels often of the same name always of the same character and i'm going to pause there like i said that's not untrue <laughs> so uh, like, that's the thing. The Catholic Church is notorious for this. They went in uh, and they, they slapped new names on the statues in the Roman uh, temples. Uh, okay, so this is no longer Adonis. This is St. Uh, James or whatever. This is what they did. And they're pointing this out here. But, so that's not wrong. So like I said, they do put some true things in here to support their argument. But uh, a lot of it's based on deception, too. So let's let's continue on. Thus, on the altar... The solar phallic crucifix is surrounded by six lights for the planets. To use one example, only of a hundred at our disposal, and Christmas is at the winter solstice, the birth of Christ, put for the birth of the sun. All these points may be studied in, and it gives a listing of, you know, a bunch of different uh, books here. And, and it says, and many other books which may be studied in the library of the OTO and elsewhere. 
But in pure Freemasonry, and especially in the OTO, this synthesis has been made with greater accuracy and skill, and with higher concentration, with more lucidity, with dramatic and poetic genius, so it is easier for ourselves to distinguish the jewel from its setting, and possibly in the event of the right and its tradition being lost in some universal cataclysm for worthy successors inspired by our Lord to retrieve our loss and recover the word. So I'm going to pause there. So now they're claiming they used uh, masonry, and especially the OTO, uh, to synthesize you know, with a greater deal of accuracy and skill and in a much better, more genius way, um, the truth about these things, the different <laughs> esoteric things about this. Uh, that's what they're claiming. So they, they claim that this group, we're, we're geniuses. We have the answer. We're better than everybody else. And, you know, the Freemasons, they did a pretty good job preserving some of this secret information. But we've done so much better because we're so much more genius about it. And we understand more. Uh, so let's continue on, though. Now then, let us once again recall to you, very illustrious Sir Knights of the Order of the Temple of the East, the history of our religious and military monks and knights, how issuing from the West as crusaders, they met with initiates in the armies of Salah Undin, and from the, them obtained the secret called Baphomet, being the mystery of the measure of heaven and earth that lieth behind this secret of the seventh degree concerning the unity of God. And ye have verily reason from the crowns of your heads to the soles of your feet to remember how this is the origin of all our tragedy. Thus, therefore, sir knights, valorous and noble, war constantly on all tyranny and superstition, and mostly against bigotries such as orthodox Christianity, as interpreted in its material sense, old wives' tales and foolish fables, the immoral doctrines of original sin and vicarious atonement, and the most hideous eschatology in the history of false religion, nor can much less be averred against all other orthodoxies with their fables equally absurd their postulates equally immoral i'm going to pause there did you hear that do you hear what they think about christians folks what they think about christianity these are not your friends okay uh, this is why christians worldwide right now are really being battered down and oppressed and you know belittled and everything else this is exactly why these people are not your friends okay they have this attitude that christianity is the perversion and that their way is the right way that they have the secrets of the ages and they know what true religion is and we're all but ignorant bigots we're profane we don't belong they have no place for you in their new age see I've said this all before, but, uh, you know, here it is in their own words. But let's get back to the reading, because we'll, we'll hear some more of this as we go through. But also, let there be war upon those who seek to refine upon these bigotries in any other way than that of eclectic and syncret syncretistic harmonizations beware mo moreover of those who seek to spiritualize their false gods for their heads are even as vain pigs bladders of poisonous miasma gonna pause there see so they're telling you to beware moreover 
of those who seek to spiritualize their false gods, and they're talking about Jesus Christ, okay? Spiritualizing Jesus Christ. So they're telling people to, you know, within these groups, to war upon those um, who actually have any kind of spiritual values based on Christianity, okay? People who try to uh, be more aware of spiritual things, to be more mindful of spiritual things, more so than the material. That's what they're telling them here. They're, they're, do, you, do you see, do you hear the vitriol in this writer's voice about this? Anyway, let's continue on. But in your warfare, honor brave antagonists. Spare them and bring them to initiation. While the hag and the eunuch, and such as well nigh, all who support orthodoxies must be shown the only mercy possible, that of swift destruction. Going to pause there, folks. These people are not your friends, you see, especially if you're a Christian. See, they, they claim that this is mercy to give you swift destruction. Okay. Anyway, let's continue on. For those calling themselves orthodox, who are yet men and women, have in truth no faith in these follies, but only profess them as convenient means of dominating the vulgar. Such are already of us, although they know it not. Such, albeit unconsciously, understand and live according to our law of Thalema. Do what thou wilt. They are ripe for conversion. They are of the blood and with little pains may be brought to fight in our ranks. So mote it be, it says. Do you hear that? And here we go. Let's let's continue on here. I, we got a lot of reading to do. I want to cover a lot of this tonight, but uh, we're definitely going to go to a part two and possibly a part three uh, if, you know, this continues. Uh, there's there's a lot of reading. So, But uh, here it is. It says five. Here declare we a certain secret method of worship of the one true God, if haply ye may find him. It says here, let's continue reading. Let every knight appoint a privy chapel in his castle, and so far as may be let it resemble this order and disposition of our supreme grand council, having an ever-burning lamp as an image of the sun to give light to a phallus carved or molded in gold, silver, platinum, or bronze by the fine art of the sculptor, and let the knight keep oft times vigil before it, devotedly with his whole heart uttering hymns and invocations, as may be fitting and exalting himself in due commemoration of this Lord of life, in such wise that the image becomes consecrated by his will." Thus shall it be a storehouse of strength and a focus or magnet, drawing to itself all subtle forces and radiating benediction. Let then the knight keep secret this devotion and enjoy in its fruits in quiet. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Did you hear that? What does the Bible tell us about, uh, uh, you know, worshiping graven images? That's what this is. It's a, they're, they're literally telling these guys, go make a giant dick out of gold or silver or platinum or bronze and put it on an altar in front of an ever-burning lamp and concentrate on this. Worship this. Offer your energies to this. It's a magical ritual. It's a dark magical ritual, okay? 
this is what they're literally telling their disciples in these high degrees. This is the the seventh degree of OTO, folks. That's what this is. This writing is, you know, directed at anybody who's being initiated into the seventh degree. All right. Anyway, <clears throat> let's continue on. Six. Here also is a deeper worship and an inner that lighteth nigher to the heart of God. Let the good knight devout appoint a secret shrine in his own body, in the brain, or in the throat, or in the heart, or in the solar plexus, or in that place called groin, or in some other center of force, and there let him establish firmly a mental image of the phallus, or of the sun, and closing all avenues of sense, as it were, tiling the lodge, let him worship and cherish the, that image with unwearying care. Let him rehearse before the Lord, thus exalted his own deed of knightly devoir unto the Lord, that Lord, sorry, so that memory and imagination dance about him as maids about the maypole, and to those, or sorry, and to these let him add will, consecrating himself with oaths, to the service of the Lord, and vowing to make himself a worthy priest unto him. Thus then, the whole thought being closely knit together, and ranged about the image as soldiers that rally to his standard, let him turn devoutly and intensely his mind to the sole contemplation of that image, figuring to himself that all other thoughts are but as cowens and eavesdroppers. I'm going to pause there for a minute, folks. Cowens. This was a term... Uh, used specifically by Masons to describe any non-Masons. This is the same as uh, what uh, they, you know, would say. Uh, goyim, if you've heard the term goyim, same kind of idea, okay? Um, profane, that's what this is. Uh, and that's what they're talking about when they say Cowans, okay? Back to the reading. Now then, for a season shall it be difficult rightly to tile that lodge, and the mind shall turn ever from the image. So therefore let the good knight with fortitude redouble zeal, until it be that on a sudden all that turmoil cease, and the thought flow evenly up to the image. Then shall the god appear in all his glory, assuming the worshipper into his heaven. Gonna pause right there, folks. So there's a lot to break down in there. First of all, he's talking about devoting a secret shrine within your body based upon one of these uh, chakra lines, okay? Uh, once again, it draws back to this idea of the chakras and, um, you know, firmly establishing the mental image of the phallus or the sun in one of these certain areas. And, you know, they're, they're claiming that doing this exercise will bring about illumination on the part of the initiate here. Uh, but let's get back to the reading. I'll, I'll let you interpret uh, some of that, how you see fit. And as we go along, uh, you'll start to draw more lines and connections with things. 7. Be it known unto you, very illustrious Sir Knight's counselors, that there lieth beyond all this a supreme mode by which God not only manifesteth himself to man, but is with him united in most sweet nuptials. But this mystery is not to be known of them that are not yet initiates of the sanctuary of the Gnosis nine degrees. But 
Be ye also assured that by these practices preliminary ye shall be led to godliness, and to the reward and favor of the All-One, and ye do fit yourselves for that further advancement ye make yourselves worthy candidates for the secret Areopagus of the Illuminati, wherein is much made light that is yet dark to you. Gonna pause there, folks. The secret Areopagus of the Illuminati. I thought the Illuminati was a myth. I thought they died out back in the 1790s. Hmm. Hmm. What do you know? We'll, we'll do that on another show. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there, too. Uh, but anyway, here we go. So it's it's claiming that uh, follow these instructions. And when you get to the ninth degree, then you'll learn more secret instructions to become a god. Okay, that's pretty much what they're trying to imbue here. Let's continue with the reading. Eight. And may the blessing of our Lord and Father, the Son, and the favor and fervor of the Lord be upon you, and prepare you in brain and heart and body, wisdom and beauty, and might of creation being within you, for the glory of which this council is but a figured veil. Hail, Sir Knights, Counselors, and farewell, in the name of Babylon and the Beast conjoined, of the Secret Savior and of I.A.O. And that is the end of that section for the secret instructions of the seventh degree. <laughs> so you you see, uh, there there's there's a lot going on within the OTO, isn't there? And um, once again, it says here in the name of Babylon, and that's spelled with the A instead of the Y in the middle. Uh, and and we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, so anyway, how are we looking on time here? Okay, well, we've, we could still go a little longer. This could be a very long show, okay? But Because I, I want to try to squeeze this in two parts if I can, instead of having to go a full three parts. Uh, but like I said, it's important that we lay down some foundational things here. And uh, when we do part two, we'll look at uh, the actual... Um, and the, the nuts and bolts of what is known about this quote-unquote Babylon working performed by L. Ron Hubbard and uh, Jack Parsons uh, back in the Nevada desert in 1946. Uh, we'll, we'll look at that uh, and, you know, we'll discuss those things first. But uh, we're still laying down some foundations here. And, and many of the things that I told you in past episodes here are starting to come together now, aren't they? Uh, so we're going to take a look here. I'm going to go through uh, this part about, uh, you know, um, the secret instructions of the eighth degree here. And uh, we'll end after that tonight. So we'll go through these secret instructions of the eighth degree uh, of OTO. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll lay it down right there at the end of this. And then we'll leave the, last, the rest for the finale and how... Uh, the Babylon working ties to the OTO, and you'll see the direct lines drawn and what it is they were looking to achieve. Uh, so let's continue on here. I, I'm going to do the reading here. Hopefully this won't take quite as long to get through the reading of this part, uh, but we'll try because I'm going to have a lot of different uh, insights to, to you know put in here for you. Anyway, part three, the secret instructions of the seventh, eighth, and ninth degrees. 
of the secret marriages of gods with men, a secret instruction of the eighth degree. De nuptis secretis, diorum cum hominibius. Baphomet, 10th degree, OTO, from the throne of Ireland, Iona, and all the Britons that are in the sanctuary of the Gnosis, to the perfectly illuminated adepts of the secret Areopagus of the 8th degree, pontiffs and epops of the Illuminati, greeting and peace. Under the seal of the obligation of the 8th degree, number 1, of chastity, dearly beloved, in that war of the brethren of the left-hand path against the Gnosis, whose first phase ended in the establishment of that tyranny and superstition which is called Christianity, much truth was stolen by the Black Lodge and perverted to its vile uses, and most noxious in its corruption is that castration of man called chastity, the atrophy of those noblest parts of the body which are the proper organs of redemption, both Gaian and Oranian. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. Did you hear that? These people are not your friends, especially if you're a Christian. They are your sworn enemy. They view you as being tyrants who stole... Uh, their secret teachings and perverted them and profaned them in your black lodge for vile uses. And uh, what they're claiming here is that the most noxious of these corruptions is the ca that castration of man called chastity, you see. Um, so what they're saying is, is any kind of sexual purity or any kind of sexual morality is a perversion. <laughs> That's what they're claiming here. So they're saying uh, pretty much that the you know, these are your noblest parts of your body, your sex organs, and, uh, you know, they are the proper organs of redemption. Do you see? So do you wonder why it is that they they do all of this, uh, uh, this terrible human trafficking and stuff like that? Why they, they perform these rituals and these sexual rites and why it always ties back to sex all the time with these people? This is why. This is what they believe. This is what they teach, folks. This is the eighth degree of OTO. Okay, and this is a more one of the more public uh, secret society groups and orders that there are out there. And this book is why it's, it's it's out there. You could find this in the public domain, no problem. It's there, and they talk about this stuff openly. Okay, so could you imagine what the more secretive orders do? What, what it is they believe and they, they, you know, they put forward. Anyway, let's get back on with the reading here. We then, who in the seventh degree were sworn most solemnly to chastity in the inmost as in the outermost, who have now as epops of the Illuminati, beheld with our eyes and as perfect pontiffs of our noble order administered with our members the initiation whose name is resurrection unto the light. We therefore are able to lighten the darkest places of the earth and to consider wisely what lieth in the empire of the evil ones. Read therefore these passages in the forgery called the Epistle of Paul to the Romans. I'm going to pause there, folks. You hear that? The forgery called the Epistle of Paul to the Romans. So once again, they're holding this notion that Christians are their sworn enemy and that they are the ones that have perverted the true nature of things. See, so th this is what they teach. 
This is why they hate Christians. This is why they mock Christians. This is why they do their best to do everything they can uh, to try to stop Christianity from spreading any kind of moral teaching or, or any kind of righteous teaching. Okay. Okay, so let's let's get back to what he says here. He says here, read therefore these passages in the forgery called the Epistle of Paul to the Romans. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey the lusts thereof. Neither present your members unto sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves unto God as alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. I speak after the manner of men, because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye presented your members as servants to uncleanness, and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now present your members as servants to righteousness unto sanctification. For when ye were servants of sin, ye were free in regard of righteousness. What fruit, then, had ye at that time in the things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death." But now, being made free from sin, and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto sanctification, and the end eternal life. And that's Romans six twelve to 13 and 19 to 22. <coughs> Excuse me. It says here next, Consider also these passages of the Old Testament. And the Lord said unto me, Take thee a great tablet, and write upon it with the pen of a man, for Meher Shalal Hashbaz, and I will take upon me faithful witnesses to record Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah. And I went unto the prophetess, and she conceived and bare a son. Then said the Lord unto me, Call his name Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. Isaiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. When the Lord spake at his first, or sorry, when the Lord spake at the first by Hosea, the Lord said unto Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredom and children of, of whoredom, for the land doth commit great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Goher, the daughter of Deblaim, and she conceived and bare him a son. Hosea 1, 2-3. And the Lord said unto me, Go yet, love a woman beloved of her friend and an adulteress, even as the Lord loveth the children of Israel, though they turn unto other gods and love cakes and raisins. So I bought her to me for fifteen pieces of silver and an homer of barley and an half homer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days, thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be any man's wife, so will I also be toward thee. Hosea 3, 1-3 It is then certain, even out of the mouth of the enemy, that there is a sacred use, even as an abuse, of the sanctuaries of life. And although there be rites so sacrosanct and so secreted that even to the perfectly illuminated adepts of the eighth degree they may not be disclosed, yet to them is due a full declaration of many mysteries almost surpassing speech. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. So he's saying here, he's saying, it is then certain even out of the mouth of the enemy that there is a sacred use or even even an abuse of the sanctuaries of life. Uh, so what he's saying here, remember who he's talking about as the enemy. That would be you and I, who they consider the profane, the, the Christians, uh, the, the, you know, the, the general public, okay? Uh, so they're saying that even out of the mouths of these people, uh, they acknowledge that there's an abuse uh, of the sex act, okay? 
that there, there, this, there's the potential for this. So, you see there, uh, they're, they're trying to paint uh, the Christians and, uh, you know, the, the people with any kind of a moral compass at large as the enemy, as the ones that are in the wrong, as the hypocrites, you see. Um, that's, that's how they view you, okay? And, you know, they consider themselves the perfectly illuminated adepts, and even they haven't been disclosed all these secrets yet of the sex act and these kinds of things. Do you see what the, how, they, how they do this here? Oh, you guys are very high, highly trained adepts, and you're, you're super smart, and you know all this stuff, you have all this gnosis and wisdom and all these secret teachings, but there's still something you don't know that only the ones that are higher above you know. And they'll teach you as long as you're a good student and you listen to their directions and everything. See, that's how they, they string these people along. There's always this alleged greater secret that they know. All right. Anyway, let's continue on here because now, now it gets kind of disturbing. Two of the rites of blood. It is said that there is a sect of the Jewish brethren called Chasidim, whose practice is the sacrifice of man. Thus, preferably a child, but also an adult, is taken from among the Gentiles and ceremonially slain so that not a drop of blood is lost, lest the spirit of the victim, taking refuge in that drop, escape the exorcist. This blood is then consumed as a sacrament or employed for talismanic purposes, for once the spirit of the slain one is sealed up into the split the spilt and gathered blood it is multiplied in every part thereof even as in the mass the body of christ is said to be equally in all the myriad consecrated hosts and his blood in every drop of consecrated wine everywhere and for all efficacious consider this i'm going to pause there folks this is a disturbing passage right here uh, basically what they're saying here is they believe uh, that spirit is tied to the blood, okay? So that even if there's a spilt drop of blood, that the spirit could escape. But they're talking about trying to capture the spirit uh, for uses in talismanic purposes. And this speaks of magic, the rites of magic, okay? Dark magic, all right? Um, so you see... This is what they do to gather power for themselves. This is one of the things that they do. All right. And it's saying here that there's, you know, it is said. See, the, the way he talks about it here, the author, he says, It is said that there is a sect of the Jewish brethren called Chasidim, whose practice is the sacrifice of man. So he's acknowledging that there are these groups within their order that are said to do this stuff. Now, he's not admitting forthright that the OTO is necessarily involved in this, but uh, the inference is there, isn't it? He wouldn't mention it unless it was important. See, that's the thing. He wouldn't acknowledge it unless it was an important part of their teachings, okay? Now, let's continue on, okay? And you see how he tries to uh, equate this idea to the mass of the body of Christ in, in the mass with the consecrated hosts and stuff. Do you see how he's trying to make this more acceptable or to, to sound more acceptable to these, these you know, adepts within the secret groups here? Uh, these perfectly illumined brethren? They don't sound perfectly illumined to me, but uh, anyway, 
Let's continue on. Three. Of certain rites secretly practiced in Russia. Here we go again. Okay. There is a body within the Greek church which holds an esoteric doctrine and practices a secret rite. Going to pause there. Yeah, I bet there is. This is, you know, uh, they're talking about a secret rite once again. Here we go. Let's continue on with the reading. At the meetings of this body, the lights being extinguished, the worshippers, led by the priest and a chosen and consecrated priestess, seek out each other by touch and by subtle attraction. Then they consummate the pure charity of their hearts in holy zeal. Gonna pause there, folks. It's an orgy, isn't it? Back to the reading. If by the favor and indwelling of the Holy Ghost, the priestess that is unto this rite espoused, and else virgin, do conceive and bring forth, then is the child baptized by its father, the priest, for the purification by water, and for the consecration by fire, is roast and divided among the worshippers for use as a sacrament, as a talisman, and as a medicine against all diseases. This also is said of the knights of our own holy order of the temple, that the offspring of any one of them by a virgin was roast and an unguent, made of its fat wherewith to anoint the Magian and ineffable figure of Baphomet. Consider this. Gonna pause there, folks. I know, this stuff is disturbing. It really is. But these are the people who are running the world. Do you understand? Do you understand? This is why we are being led in the direction we are as a society. We've fallen asleep at the wheel, and we've let these evil bastards take control of this world. These are the things they do, okay? This is stuff that's admitted. It's out there in the in, in the public forum. It's, it's out there in the open. This is one of the more well-known orders, folks, okay? It's admitting this stuff. This book was written in the 1970s. Okay, the 1970s. And a lot of the, the stuff that they're talking about here goes back further. All right, let's continue on. Part four of the Black Mass. Within the Roman Church have been found ever from the beginning to this day persons and societies conforming outwardly to that base and materialistic cult Inwardly revolting against it, yet often are such so ignorant of our light and of our truth that to them the attainment of life, liberty, and love seemed only possible through a profanation of their own mysteries. For they knew not that these mysteries were themselves but profanation and corruption of the true and perfect mysteries of the adepts. Gonna pause there, folks. You hear what they're doing here? They're completely inverting the whole thing, aren't they? Yeah, that these people, all oh, these ignorant people, they, they don't understand the mysteries. This is a profaning the mysteries. You see, this is not true. We only, we know the perfect mysteries of the adepts. We're smarter and better. We are superior. We have divine right to rule. Do you see how they, they do this? Anyway, let's continue on. They established, therefore, a cult whose fundamental formula was the defilement of the consecrated host. 
The priest, therefore having made the bread into the body of Christ, as he could theoretically do by virtue of his apostolic power, did, as he thought, defile that body, by using it as the object and vehicle of lust. Heroic children of liberty, but thrice blind, Samsons that perish with the Philistines. For if the ecclesiastical theory be true, in fact, they do incur damnation. If false, verily, they lose their labor. But at least they set up man against the foul demon of the Christians, and let this be accounted unto them for righteousness. But see, my brethren, perfectly illuminated adepts, how great is their error that they revolt, who should be kings, for it is in truth not the apish antics of the priest that consecrate the bread, but his male power that should make holy all his deeds. Consider this. Going to pause there, folks. Boy, is there a lot in that verse or what? Uh, do you see how they view Christians? Do you see how they uh, view uh, some of these dogmatic teachings and ceremonies that have come about in Christianity? Um, <clears throat> do you see the way they twist these things? And did you hear what he's talking about? It's not the apish antics of the priest that consecrate the bread, but his male power that should make holy all his deeds. See, it's all about the phallus again, isn't it? Okay, let's continue on. Five of the Sabbaths of the Adepts. In the black hours of earth, when the Christian superstition with fell blight withered most magnificently, or sorry, let me start that again. In the black hours of earth, when the Christian superstition with fell blight withered most malignantly the peoples of Europe, when our own holy order was dispersed and the sanctity of its preceptories lay violet, there were yet found certain to hold truth in their hearts and loving light to bear the lamp of virtue beneath the cloak of secrecy. And these at certain seasons went at night by ways open or hidden to heaths and mountains, and there dancing together, and with strange suppers and spells diverse, did call forth him, whom the enemy called ignorantly Satan, and was in truth the great god Pan, or Bacchus, or even that Baphomet, whom the Templars worshipped secretly, and yet worship as in the sixth degree all illustrious knights of the Holy Order of Kadosh, all dame companions of the Holy Grail, are taught to do, or Babylon, the beautiful, or even Zeus, Apollo of the Greeks. Gonna pause there. You hear that? Do you hear what they're saying? And they're, they call Christianity a superstition. They call it uh, profane. They call it a you know a distortion of the truths of the mysteries. Uh, and here's what they're claiming: This is not me. This is not my words. Okay, this is straight from the horse's mouth. It says right here. I'm going to read that again. Okay going to read this again so you know right from the horse's mouth okay and these at certain seasons went at night by ways open or hidden to heaths and mountains and there dancing together and with strange suppers and spells diverse did call forth him whom the enemy and that's you and me folks or the christians or the the public called ignorantly satan and was in truth the great god Pan, 
or Bacchus, or even that Baphomet whom the Templars worshipped secretly. See? <coughs> so they're claiming during, you know, this whole advent of Christianity and the rise of the Christian church, there were always those within the priestcraft and uh, the higher echelons of the Christian church who in secret went and went to these places and secretly danced together and cast magic spells and did all these things and went to worship Satan, okay? Not my words, theirs. But see, that's the thing. They, they say that the enemy, that's us, ignorantly called Satan. But they, they don't see this as Satan, okay? This is, this is not the same God folks that we serve this is not the creator of the universe that these people serve uh let's let's face it they're self-serving okay they just use these different things these different uh aspects of nature and uh, these different uh what you would call spirits or you know these different powers per se to try to elevate themselves see Anyway, let's let's continue on. I don't think I need to tell you much else there. Uh, you could draw your own conclusions from this. But this is the eighth degree of the OTO. And each, when first inducted to the revel, was made partner of that incarnate one by the consummation of the rite of marriage. Consider this. And, and who are we talking about? They're talking about marriage to this great god Pan... Bacchus, Baphomet, Satan, whatever you want to call this being or this entity, okay? Let's continue on here. Number six of classical fables. The ancients of every nation report their heroes to have been born of the marriage of gods with mortals. As Romulus and Remus begotten of the god Mars upon a vestal virgin... Hercules of Jove, but Buddha of Vishnu in the form of a white elephant with six tusks, Jesus of Jehovah upon a virgin, and many another. Even true gods were born of mortal mothers as Dionysus of Semele. Also, they recount many loves of heaven for earth, Diana for Endymion, Zeus for Leda, Danae, Europa, and the rest. Even Hades issued from his gloomy kingdom to ravish the maid Persephone. There are also loves of gods for nymphs. Bacchus for the Adri Adriadne. Zeus for Io. Pan for Syrinx. There is no end of these. And satyrs, fauns, centaurs, dryads, a thousand gracious tribes leap lightly and lustfully through their legends. Again, we have the loves of fairies for mankind, and the commerce of the B'nai Elohim with the daughters of men, and yet again the marriage of Orpheus with Eurydice, a nymph, and the fatal nets that Laura, Melusina, the Sirens, Lilith, and many another cast for men. It is even said that to every neophyte of the order of AA, and that's a subgroup of uh, the OTO, for those who don't know, and I, I think it's called... Uh, Argentum, I can't think of it off the top of my head again. Uh, Arkham Argentium or something like that it's called. You could look that up, though. But that's what they're talking about. Uh, so let me continue on. Uh, 
It is even said that to every neophyte of the order of AA appeareth a demon in the form of a woman to pervert him. Within our own knowledge have not less than nine brethren been utterly cast out thereby. Gonna pause there. That's the author claiming a personal knowledge of nine people who have uh, actually been destroyed in this process, folks. Um, that's what he's claiming here. Anyway. There are also vain loves, as that of Ixion for Hera, of Actaeon for Artemis. Consider this. Number seven. Of certain Greek rites, among the peoples of the Balkan Peninsula, and especially the Greeks, beneath the bush of their false Christianity, is hidden the wheat of Demeter, and even as the Muslim trust to be united by death to their Hural Ain of paradise, so do these others yet think that earthly marriage is but fornication, for that death is a nuptial wherein the soul is united to that god or goddess to whom on earth his lust aspired. Thus, even in the embraces of their lovers, their hearts were fixed on Artemis, or on Aphrodite, or on Ares, or on Apollo, as the inner tendency urges and the intuition thereof proclaims. Consider of this. And I'm going to pause right there, folks, to try to explain this more. So they're claiming here that, uh, you know, marriage is but fornication, earthly marriage, see? Once again, they're alluding back to this idea that you should marry elementals or gods or higher beings. These spiritual beings, these aspects of nature, do you see? Uh, this is exactly what this is alluding to here because it says, uh, thus even in the embraces of their lovers, their hearts are fixed on some god, you see? Artemis or Aphrodite or Ares or Apollo as their inner tendency urges and the intuition thereof proclaims. So he's claiming that in your heart and your spirit you're yearning for this god or goddess so that, uh, you know, earthly marriage shouldn't be a thing, that it's, it's an abomination, see, in their view, that earthly marriage or this, uh, you know, this uniting of one man and one woman uh, this monogamy principle, all of this. See, they, they, they teach that this is wrong. It's backwards. We shouldn't be doing this. We should aspire to marry these greater things, these uh, elementals, you see, these, these God beings, these spiritual things. We should have union with them. Demons, folks. That's what they're prescribing here. And, okay, if you think that's a stretch... Sit tight for a minute. We're moving on to the next section here. Eight. Of succubi and incubi. From all time the life of man has now and again overflowed in sleep without will and only reflected itself dimly and fantastically by dream into his knowledge. Now, since naught can be lost on any plane, but only changed in appearance the inner substance of this life-stuff, does indeed beget monsters in part material, which the doctors of the Middle Ages called incubi or succubi, according as they performed the functions of male or female. These two begat children upon women, but not the reverse, for the succubus, for all his female function, is as male as his brother. Of these monstrous lovers, some even became famous on earth, as that one who tempted San Antonio, and the angel that wrestled with Jacob at the place called Paniel. Also, Merlin was the child of an incubus, and thus also were many heroes of old time begot. Consider of this. So, gonna pause right there. 
Incubi and Succubi. Demons! They're equating these to these elemental, you know, beings and these godlike beings, these, uh, these entities, folks. And he's claiming here that uh, regardless of whatever form they take, they're male. All of them, even the succubus, the female, is a male. Do you understand, once again, the perversion of nature that this is, uh, that they're talking about here? Okay, uh, <clears throat> this is a twisting and a perversion of ideas that were brought forth uh, back in the ancients. They've, they've taken it to the nth degree, and they've twisted and really perverted it. Unbelievably so, but let's, let's continue on. So you could hear from the horse's mouth just how perverse this truly is, okay? Nine. Of the work of adepts. Not only as a probation and as a preparation for the far greater key of magic art that is given to initiates of the sanctuary of the Gnosis in the ninth degree, but for its own sake and the practical and permanent value of its effects is a lesser work to be undertaken by epops, and how much more by pontiffs of the Illuminati. And this work is threefold. Number one, devotion to the highest intensified on all planes until it culminates in conjugal union ratified by every god so firmly that death itself is the gate to its fullest and permanent enjoyment. Gonna pause right there, folks. Let me read that again for you so you could kind of get an idea of what it is that these pervs are teaching okay devotion to the highest intensified on all planes until it culminates in conjugal union ratified by every god so firmly that death itself is the gate to its fullest and permanent enjoyment and we'll continue on reading here because there's more to that part one here that number one and the soul is to beget itself as a child for a new incarnation upon the body of the great goddess. As it is written, so be it spoken unto you, O thou who hast formulated thy father and made fertile thy mother. Do you hear the perversion in this? So they're talking about, you know, having sex with demonic entities or you know, what, what they would consider gods or elementals or something like that, so that they could beget themselves as a child again, uh, that uh, they could only um, have this culminate in, in their death as a permanent enjoyment, and then to be reborn again as one of these special children. Do you, do you, do you hear how sick this sounds? Anyway, let's continue on. Number two. Acceptance of the devotion of a lower or partial being, such as a nymph or elemental in such wise that it is thereby redeemed and made a perfect soul through the death which it must pay as the price of union with man. Going to pause there, folks. What did I tell you? I know some of you probably thought when I started doing that series on the unseen forces and the elementals and then went through the series of the gods... 
that book written by uh, Dr. Ruben Swineburne Clymer, that a lot of this stuff, you know, it sounded like a stretch. It's not a stretch. Here it is in no uncertain terms, written in their own words from the horse's mouth. Number two, I'll read it again. Acceptance of the devotion of a lower or partial being such as a nymph or elemental in such wise that it is thereby redeemed and made a perfect soul through the death which it must pay as the price of union with man. You hear that? Now let's continue on because there's number three yet. Because it, remember, it says that this works threefold. Number three. The deliberate and well-considered creation of new orders of being. I'll read that one again real slow for the people in the back. Number three. The deliberate and well-considered creation of new orders of being. Transhumanism, anyone? I don't know what more to tell you, folks. If, if, you, if you're not picking up what I'm putting down by now, I don't think you ever will. This is the great work. This is what they're looking for. Transhumanism. Okay? Uh, it's, it's a perversion of the natural order. A complete inversion of natural order. They're looking to try to manifest this stuff in a very physical, real way here in the earthly plane. Okay? Uh, up until this point, they kind of... Um, teach these things and do these things in what they would consider a spiritual or etheric type state or plane but now they're trying to make it manifest in full hypermaterialist view here in the physical world that's what they're working towards let's continue on because we got a little bit more to go and we'll wrap it up for tonight and then we'll continue on in part two talking about the babylon working let's continue on 10 of great marriages the supreme means is declared fully in the publications of the August Fraternity Most Holy, the AA Liber 11 and Liber DLV, blah, blah, blah. This other method is suggested, okay? So they're, they're, they're talking about the, the, the how to do this, how to mate with one of these elemental beings or, you know, demonic beings or uh, what it, the things they're talking about, this kind con- you know, this consecrated uh, conjugal union that they're talking about. That's what they're, they're, they're referring you to some other writings and publications to give you suggestions. But then it says, number two, this other method is suggested. It says, on every occasion before sleep, let the adept figure his goddess before him, wooing her ardently in imagination and exalting himself with all intensity toward her, and let him consider all involuntary movements of the mind as adulteries vile and criminal. Therefore, with or without an assistant, let him purge himself freely and fully at the end of restraint trained and ordered unto exhaustion, concentrating over ever ardently upon the body of the great goddess, and let the offering be preserved in her consecrated temple or in a talisman especially prepared for this practice, and let no desire for any other enter the heart. Then shall it be in the end that the great goddess will descend and clothe her beauty in veils of flesh, surrendering her chaste fortress of Olympus to that assault of thee, O Titan, son of earth, or... At the least, this being denied thee, yet all thy life in heart and spirit being hers, thy death shall be the consummation of these betrothals in entry into the closed palace of thy lady. And of such espousals mayest thou read in Liber, and it gives a big long number here, what is that, 4, 
418, because it's all in Roman numerals. So let me read that again. And of such espousals mayest thou read in Liber 418, more especially in the ninth and in the second ethers. It is to be noted in all this that both God and the soul are male or female as convenience requires. See, for a curious example, the mystic treatise called the Bagi Muatur. So let's pause right there for a moment, folks. So you see, they are, what they're saying here is uh, basically the, the whole idea is you're going to envision this perfect goddess or whatever it is, this being. Okay, this is what they teach. They're initiates of the eighth degree in the OTO. And they're going to masturbate into a talisman and concentrate on this perfect being. Okay. And this will, will bring about magical power for them later. Or it'll bring into manifestation at some point um, in the physical uh, a prepared uh, person. Um, so let's read that again so you understand. It says here, uh, Then shall it be in the end that the great goddess will descend and clothe her beauty in veils of flesh, surrendering her chaste fortress of Olympus to that assault of thee, O Titan, son of Earth. Or at least, this being denied thee, yet all thy life and heart and spirit being hers, thy death shall be the consummation of these betrothals and entry into the closed palace of the lady. So, you see here, this is intended to be a magical ritual that will eventually bring forth a flesh and blood person, uh, supposedly harboring this spirit, this goddess spirit, uh, or if you fail in this, then at least, you know, uh, it, your consummation in these betrothals will happen in your death, you see, so that you could pass on and, you know, become one of these special children or whatever that they're talking about here. Um, anyway, but th this is some twisted, twisted stuff, folks. Uh, but these are the kinds of things that they teach. And let's continue on, because it, it gets more intense here, too. 11. Of lesser marriages. This matter is easy, for the souls of the elements desire constantly this salvation. But let the adept beware. 1. That he choose wisely a reasonable soul, docile, apt, beautiful, and in all ways worthy of love. 2. That he fall not ever from love of the great goddess into love of this inferior, but give only as a master and of his pity, knowing that this also is service to his high lady above. And I'm going to pause there in case anybody's confused. See, the whole objective here is, see, they, they want to aspire towards this conjugal union with a higher being as opposed to the elemental which is a lesser being but they only do that out of you know altruism because they feel sorry for the the elemental the lesser being but see if they concentrate enough and they do enough of these magical rituals eventually that goddess form will descend and and manifest as either one of these elemental beings or as a physical person in, in flesh and blood uh do you, do you see the perversion, the twisting of this this whole thing, of what they teach these people? So if you aspire towards this goddess power, using your sex force, your will, so to say, this would be the masculine part 
of uh, you know the magic or the the sex force will and imagination being the feminine aspect of of that of the sex force so you see the combination of will and imagination this is what they claim uh, that they draw magical power from imagination combined with will and you can see how this turns into perversion really quick when it's equated to sex force and sex and when they're concentrating day and night on this goddess form or having conjugal union with this higher being do you understand do you see the depths of perversion in this do you see how this could twist a person's mind into believing something or or doing something totally despicable uh, thinking that they're serving some higher you know type of a, a purpose with this stuff or using it for their magical spells and things like that to, to achieve power so that being said let's go ahead and continue on here number three that such familiar spirits he have but four and let him regulate their service appointing hours for each Number four, that he treat them with kindness and firmness, being on guard against their tricks. So I'm going to pause there. So they're talking about of lesser marriages. This would be marriages with elementals as opposed to marriages to this goddess form. Do you see? Uh, so once again, they're applying sexual energies um, towards these different spiritual ideas, okay? Or these more spiritualized ideas, these non-physical ideas let's put it that way do you understand why pornography is what it is today this this is just part and parcel of this whole perversion this this teaching that's why they push pornography so heavily that's what this is about do you see it's about uh, you know conceptualizing this goddess figure and using your sex force or your sex energy to bring about real world changes um with this energy or at least this is what they believe so you, you see how they've taken and twisted and perverted some of these ideas you see and they're using them uh, to try to try to invert this world and and be the the gods of this world in such a sense and, and that's what they do here anyway let's continue with the reading says here let's pick up right after number four this being said it is enough for to have them in but the pains to call them forth from their homes and the spirits of the elemental tablets given by dr d and sir edward kelly are the best being very perfect in their nature and faithful affectioning the human race and if not so powerful as they are less dangerous than the planetary spirits for these are more boisterous and by distraction stars are easily perturbed and afflicted call them therefore by the keys of enoch as is written in the book ye know of and let there be after the calls an evocation by the wand and let the marrow of the wand be preserved within the pyramids of the letters that make up the name of the spirit so we're going to pause there folks if you're not catching that veiled reference there the evocation of the wand and the marrow of the wand to be preserved within the pyramids of the letters that make up the name of the spirit uh this is once again talking about masturbating into a talisman or some such thing okay let's make it plain and clear all right that's what they do and they they try to call forth these different spirits or elemental beings using uh the uh 
the lesser key of Solomon or the greater key of Solomon. There's these two books uh, that talks about this Enochian language used by uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Kelly and Dr. D, or sorry, Sir Edward Kelly and Dr. D, um, that, uh, you know, these magicians that conjured forth these demonic entities or these spiritual entities, these, these powers per se. So they're trying to invoke these powers and uh, use their sex force to pretty much cast magical spells or uh, bring about changes in the world that they want. Do you see? <clears throat> and it's a perversion. It's a total perversion. Anyway, let's continue on with the reading. Now, unless ye be well skilled in art magic, ye will not dare call forth the three great gods of the whole tablet, or the king's serpent thereof, or the six segnuniers majestical, or even the gods of the Calvary crosses in the lesser angles. But the cherubic rulers, yea, verily, and amen, these are your mates, and ye may yet more safely summon the lesser assistant angles. And I'm going to pause there. They're talking about fallen angels, folks. Demons and fallen angels. The fallen angels are being the more higher order beings, per se. Uh, so that's basically what they're talking about doing here. But, uh, you know, they say unless you be really skilled in magic, you should not dare do so. Um, anyway, let's continue with the reading here. And those that are in this art, novices, should wiselier call forth only the trigrammaton of the sub-elements. So it's saying here, basically, um, you know, any of you people that do this magic and do these rituals, uh, if you're not really highly skilled and, you you know, you don't know what you're doing, only call forth these elemental beings, see, uh, for these purposes. So you see what they do here? This is these people are twisted, folks, twisted, perverted beyond belief. Um, like uh, this, this stuff is really, truly, truly despicable. Anyway, let's continue on. We're almost done, so, but I, I think it's important that we lay this foundational work down so you could see who it is these people are, what they believe, why they do the things they do and what their intention towards you is. It's important that we understand that. We lay this foundation, and we go down the road. Okay? Twelve. Of the new and holy kingdom. It is written in the papyrus of Nezmin that the son spake in his name Taum, and said, I copulated with my fist. I emitted semen into my shadow. I ejaculated into my own mouth. I sent forth issue as shoe. I poured myself out as tefnut. Shoe and tefnut brought to me my eye. I wept over them. Mankind came into being from the tears which came forth from my eye. Shoe and tefnut brought forth keb and nut. And keb and nut brought forth Osiris and the blind Horus and Set and Isis and Nephthys from the belly one after another. And they brought forth their multitudes upon this earth. And again, I copulated with my fist. My heart came to me into my hand. The semen fell into my mouth. I sent forth issue as shoe. I poured myself out as tefnut. From one god I was three gods. Thus then did the sun formulate male and female, whose children are earth and heaven, whose children are the five elements, or tatwas, of which all visible things are made. 
Let then the adept make two talismans, pure male and female, with no admixture of any less principles, and let him consecrate himself as the sun, and pour out life upon them, vivifying them therewith. Then shall they conjoin, making unto themselves a new heaven and a new earth, whose union shall breed elements, and multitudes of beings to live and love in liberty beneath thy light, and house of virgins, singing praises among the flames of glory, wherein the Lord hath opened his mouth, whose works shall be a song of honor and praise of your God in your creation. And that's pretty sick stuff, isn't it, folks? But do you hear the idea? See, that they're... This is why they do this stuff. They think they could become God through um, using their intention and their will and their imagination and, you know, using their sex force um, within these different talismanic ideas. In so doing, they could become gods to these lesser beings, these elementals, these uh, lesser planes. Uh, they, you see, and they're, they're trying to bring this into manifestation physically. Uh, so it's it's really disturbing it really truly is uh, so the things that they're they're talking about here it always relates back to this idea of the sex force or the generative force and that's uh, you know what the masons always uh, talk about to a lesser degree as well but see they really take it to the next level here in some of these higher orders of these secret societies let's continue on we're almost done 13. Of Damnation. Remember, dearly beloved, perfectly illuminated adepts of this secret Areopagus, that from the beginning of all, the vows of your initiation have invoked upon you the most fearful penalties of disobedience. For as soon as ye erect any natural or and common thing into a formula of magic, so soon do ye excite also the contrary current. Thus, while every child reads and speaks freely of the pillars of the temple of King Solomon by name, the mason dare not do they're not so much as letter them without precaution and while the private man may speak evil of the king and blaspheme god without risk yet the servant of the king and the minister of god must cloak themselves with reverence even though it be not in their hearts for this reason that they have invoked the king and god as sword and shield of their own authority to you then if you have dared to use this force of the holy phallus is its abuse fatal and deadly to the man of earth it matters but little if he suffer nocturnal pollution or indulge in wantonness to you that are adepts it is ruin absolute for all that force which passeth from under your control unless so directed and fortified by your will that it is but as loyal a loyal soldier faithful unto death is as artillery abandoned that is seized upon by the enemy and turned against you and because it is of your own substance therefore has it as it were by nature a link with you a right upon you and all the fortresses that your inheritance of god and your own holy art have built about you are of no force to resist this treasonable assault be wary therefore for obsession bodily wasting and disease madness and even murder upon you may be inflicted by the engines that ye having forged for the service of mankind and for the glory of the lord leave to the malignancy of the demon that he may turn them to your own destruction so it's warning 
these, you know, highly illuminated adepts of this secret aerial Pegasus uh, to be careful because they've made these blood oaths, they've made these, um, they, they've sworn these oaths, they've learned these things, and uh, if they, per, you know, if they willingly participate in perversion outside of this order, then, uh, you know, they've, they've signed their own warrant for destruction, pretty much. Um, so, so you see here, once they're in this deep with this stuff, it's very hard for them to get out of it. Um, anyway, let's continue on here. I think we're almost done. And every time I think we're almost done, there's always more. But anyway, let's let's read. It says, 14, a reproof. Here then, dearly beloved, this reproof. First, strengthen to the uttermost the power of restraint by daily practice, as is taught by the Hindus and Arabs, masters of this science in their books, and it lists a bunch of books, and many others. And they're talking about practicing uh, withholding, you know, these different, um, uh, like, withholding ejaculation and stuff like that that's what it's talking about they want they, you know they're teaching them practice these sexual arts these sexual magics uh, of, of many sorts it says secondly avoid the dangers of inadvertence by constant and regular practice of the greater and the lesser works of epopt and pontiff of the illuminati and of the mystery of the new holy kingdom thirdly sleep always in a consecrated circle or in a room full of holy images before whose glory the powers of darkness tremble every day. And it says such images are the sun, the holy phallus, the great seal of Babylon, the stell of revealing, the great seal of the OTO, the great seal of Baphomet, the image of Baphomet, the image of Babylon, the eye within the triangle, the rosy cross, the image of Harpocrates upon the lotus or standing upon crocodiles, the image of Babylon with the phallic reference, the figure of Isis with Horus, the crucifix, but only if its solar phallic significance be most firmly grasped, and if by shield of secrecy against the vulgar. Talismans appropriate to this matter, a living flame. The symbols and insignia of the OTO, which your degree entitles you to bear. Magical rings and neck jewels should also be worn by night and day. The rituals of defense and protection should be also be practiced in perfection all bodily excrements such as cut nails and hair should be burnt spittle should be destroyed or exposed to the sun the urine and feces should be so disposed of that it is unlikely that any other person should obtain possession of them if it is even desirable in theory that linen should not be washed by strangers and that old clothes should not be given to the poor until some time after that last occasion of wearing them but at most times, these precautions are not necessary. Only if engaged in operations of the greatest importance is it indispensable to observe them. So do you hear what they're saying here? Um, they're saying, sleep in a protective circle. They know they're doing bad stuff, folks. <laughs> you know? And they, they know that uh, any of these these black magics that they, they use can come back to bite them. And that's why it's important uh, that they take these precautions. Do you understand what they're saying here? They know inherently that this is wrong, okay, but they paint it as being right. Number 15, of the cunning of this instruction. 
Now concerning this charge, it may be that certain deem therein to be contained things monstrous and extravagant. Boy, is that an understatement or once or what? <laughs> now here, here's here's where they, they put the spin on it. Let's 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 start that over. Of the cunning of this instruction. Now concerning this charge, it may be that certain deem therein to be contained things monstrous and extravagant. Let them consider this as a defect of their own intuition and apprehension, and moreover as a thickness of that veil that is yet betwixt this Areopagus and this sanctuary of the Gnosis, for perfectly illuminated as ye are, beloved brethren, think this that there may be a darkness that is more than all your light. <laughs> I'll let you make of that what you will, folks. But basically they're saying, if you if you find fault in any of this, you're just not illuminated enough. <laughs> Do you hear that? You just don't get it yet. <laughs> if you find fault in any of these teachings that we just went through here, then you're just not illuminated enough. You don't get it. You're ignorant. <laughs> That's what they're basically saying. Anyway, I'll let you make of it what you will. But uh, anyway, let's continue on. So it says, 16, farewell. And it says, amen and amen and amen of amen, blah, blah, blah. It says, I greet you by sign. I exchange you with token. I whisper the word, blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to read all of this because it's it's a whole lot of hibberty-hobberty. Uh, let's see. Let's get to that. It says, it's all a bunch of hubris, folks. And, you know self-aggrandizing here and it says hail brethren beloved of the most high hail perfectly illuminated adepts of the secret aerial pegas blah 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 the pontiffs and epops of the illuminati hail and farewell and then it talks about in the name of babylon and the beast conjoined of the secret savior and of iao and that's the end of that part and that's only the eighth degree folks and we're going to end there tonight, just so you have a little bit of an idea as to who these people are, what it is they believe, the perversions that uh, they're trying to bring into manifestation in this world. It's, it's really quite disturbing. So, just so you know, but we had to lay down this groundwork so that we could explore further what exactly was it that Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard were doing out in the desert in Nevada in 1946? What were they hoping to achieve? What was this quote-unquote Babylon working? And we'll explore uh, the specifics of the quote-unquote Babylon working next time. And we'll also go into, uh, you know, a secret instruction of the ninth degree of the OTO that relates to this very thing on the next episode so i hope you tune in for that i hope tonight uh was a wake-up call for you folks um these secret societies although many of them you know like to present themselves as being harmless or you know just good people or you know just interested in, in these various things uh at the topmost levels folks it's rotten to the core let's let's put it that way rotten to the core so when you know that uh, many of the, the people in positions of power in this world belong to these types of secret groups and they believe many of the same teachings that are taught in this uh, OTO, in these secret rituals. And, and this, like I said, this is out there in the public domain for anybody to find. And this is one of the more well-known uh, 
secret society groups or occult orders that's out there, and there are many others, and there are some that are way more perverse than this. Be assured of that. And some of the things they do are heinous to the max. And a lot of these people are in positions of power in this world and make decisions from quote-unquote behind the veil as to how things will go. And uh, they're working towards trying to attain their own godhood. And they're misled, and they've perverted many of the old teachings. When you go back uh, and look at the ancient alchemists and philosophers, this is not the stuff they were talking about, folks. This has been twisted to the nth degree and perverted into uh, you know, a manifestation in this world that's totally heinous and against everything good and holy and natural and right. Uh, and it's it's unnatural. And it's it's the, the middle finger in the face of God when it comes down to it from these people. They think they could be God and they could be better than God. And uh, it's it's totally sick and twisted. And it all culminates in transhumanism. And although people uh, don't really want to see the connection, I assure you it's there. These are the same teachings. They're just, they just have a technological twist on them. Okay? That's all it is when it comes down to it. They just have a more uh, modern veneer to them. This is all transhumanism is. That's, that's what it's about. It's the same old, same old. This is their perversion of the great work. This is their great work that they want to bring about in the world today. So, anyway, thanks for tuning in, folks. Um, we'll catch you next time for part two of this, where we really take apart the whole Babylon working end of this whole conversation. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. Have a good night. Come with me.
See the train.